to connect on our platforms for streaming tonight. I'll quickly remind everybody who's uh, viewing on any one of my live stream platforms that I have made a, made a Trovo account as well under the breakdown with WB. So if you're somebody that wants an alternative uh, platform to listen to, you can go ahead and check me out on Trovo and I have my content and live streams posted there as well. But welcome to The Breakdown with Birkenoff episode 20, Biden Likes His Pin. The last episode I did was actually during the Capitol raids, like literally during the Capitol raids. They were happening live on air, and we watched some of Stephen Ingeramus, who is a friend of uh, myself and a group of streamers. Uh, we all are on Freedom Scoop, so if you like similar uh, content like as I listen to here or as we uh, as I talk about through my podcast or individual streams, you can definitely check out any number of them on Freedom Scoop. Either the Generational Gap, Stephen Ingeramus, Jay Egger, uh, the Freckles and Brit Show, or anyone else that is on that platform, including R-rated conservative. So, once again, if you like the sort of stuff I do, you may like them as well, and I would highly suggest that. But as I was just saying, is we our last podcast I did was actually during the live raids, so there wasn't a whole lot uh, necessarily, there was a lot to talk about at that time, and it was a pretty long uh, podcast itself. But I finally am going to get back into doing the podcast and be streaming a lot more now that I have kind of figured out my schedule. What I was just saying is we our last podcast. Now that I kind of have figured out a schedule and everything to do, so once I I, I have that all set, so I'm going to be streaming a lot more, at least a couple times a week. I'm hoping to do uh, at least something every day. There may not be a stream every day, but maybe an individual video on my YouTube every day. But I plan to at least do kind of something, but if not, I plan to at least live stream a couple times a week. So if you like my content, you can definitely check that out. And my next live stream is going to be on justice reform. And by the time you're listening to this on your podcast, if you if you listen to it as a podcast on Spotify, uh, Google, or uh, Apple Podcast, it will already be uh, up by then. But it's over justice reform and trying to kind of fix the justice system because the United States is definitely... Definitely uh, very fr- very wrong in what they do in their justice system. And there's a whole bunch of fixes that I think uh, need to be done to the United States justice system. But for today's episode, I decided that we were going to mainly be focused on uh, Biden's inauguration and executive orders. So it is going to be a very heavy Biden stream as he is now the new president of the United States of America. And... Uh, So it'll be interesting as far as what Biden plans to do. And Biden has been very heavy with his pen, as as the title of this podcast suggests, through the means of executive orders. So we're going to be talking a lot about Biden's executive orders. And we are also going to be reading about a few other things. But I first wanted to start where we kind of left off as far as the podcast went. 
And that was with uh, the Capitol raids and riots. So this article is by USA Today, and it states, Capitol riot inquiry grows to 400 suspects. Feds expect to bring suggestion charges very soon. The far-reaching investigation into the deadly January 6th Capitol siege continues to go as more than 400 suspects have been identified by federal authorities who expect to bring secession charges against some of those linked to the insurrection. We have to be very careful with that word as we heard from, uh, was it Mitch McConnell, I believe? But anyway, we are working on those secession cases, said Stephen Sherwin, the chief federal prosecutor overseeing an inquiry, adding that officials accept accept the uh, investigations to bear fruit very soon. The charges which carry a maximum punishment of 20 years would be among the most serious for the armed back dispute in Congress, counting of President Joe Biden's state clarified electoral victory. And real quick, I uh, just wanted to mention this before it leaves my mind. I was watching the verdict with Michael Knowles and Ted Cruz. I don't, I'm not particularly a 100% Ted Cruz fan or whatever you want to necessarily say about uh, Ted Cruz, but it's interesting to have a podcast from somebody who is a senator and most importantly, a senator of my state. So I thought it would be interesting to view his podcast and just see what he has to say about certain bills or whatever is happening in uh, Congress or in whatever sort of uh, motives as far as that goes. But anyway, the reason I bring that up is the latest episode that they released a couple days ago now, uh, Ted Cruz was talking about this very incident and he brought up the point that he was uh, with a group of 11 people and they were going to go against the commissions and go against the debates or, or not sorry not the debates go against the uh, the dot process of who won the election. So what I mean by that is Ted Cruz and 11 others are including Ted Cruz 11 senators were going to say look. We don't think that this election was fair. We're not saying that uh, that President Trump has won by any means, but we think there is enough fraud, and we think that this fraud needs to be uh, at least debated or at least talked about. And by the way, Susan, I'm not saying that, that uh, Mr. Trump won the election or that there was fraud that would overturn the election or anything like that. I'm just take, saying what Ted Cruz said. <laughs> anyway. So Ted Cruz was talking that he was wanting to join these group of 11 people and they were going to suggest something that happened in like an 1837, 18-somethings, 18 where they invented a, a trial committee or a group of people that looked into this for a period of, I believe it was 30 days, he said. And it was these individual committee people that weren't backed by party, so they were in, independently chosen, and they would choose uh, and look into these claims of fraud themselves and come back with their results. And he said that this had happened before, in sometime in the 1800s, so it had some sort of historical relevance to what he was trying to say. So he was in the middle of talking about that, and they were going to do it on the first state, uh, which was, would it would have been uh, Arizona. So when Arizona gets called by Mike Pence, if anyone disputes the claims and blah, 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 the legal process, they were going to get up and say, hey, um, 
we don't but we don't think that these results are accurate and this is what we suggest and then that was going to have to get voted but people are going to going to have to go into their separate chambers and debate these claims and it goes republican democrat republican democrat republican democrat republican democrat and so on and for a period of at least 2 hours so Ted Cruz was kind of explaining that process and explaining that claim. But the main reason I bring this example up was right in the middle as they were doing that, the Capitol Police came in and closed the doors and had a little bit of urgency to them. And basically the whole gist was, and they didn't really necessarily know it at the time, but there was people breaching the Capitol. So eventually their Senate chambers became compromised and the Capitol Police didn't think that they would be able to secure the senators and had them evacuate the Senate chambers and into their individual offices where they could be more safe and more secure and not in the entire Senate chambers building. And Ted Cruz explained this in a lot more detail. Once again, if you want to check out his claims he had on his show, The Verdict, with uh, Tom Cruise, where he explained it in much more detail. But the main reason I bring that up was, was they were in the middle of talking about that when these Capitol riots happened. So I thought it was very interesting to kind of bring up and to debate and think about when it comes to what particularly was happening at that time. So now that we, I kind of brought that up, I was wondering what was what was going to happen from these Capitol Raiders. Now, a lot of people, and this was very, very interesting, really, to me, very, very interesting to me about how this uh, how this happened and people thought about or whatever you want to necessarily say. But that being the claim that uh, a lot of people at the time thought meaning conservatives were going to be for these capital riots or at least encouraging them through maybe their talk shows on the radio or through YouTube commentary, uh, whatever their platform might be. But essentially they were going to support these writers and what the Capitol did. But what f caught my interest, and maybe you could disagree with me on this, but I still found it a little bit interesting, and the more I think about it, the more it makes sense to me, but I'll just state it here, is the factor of the ma major conservatives at that time who uh, had big networks were basically going against these capital raiders and saying what they did was absolutely horrible. The reason we didn't like all of these... Uh, protests before was because it led to destruction and fiery businesses and broken down windows and burning cars and burning cities and people getting hurt and run over blah 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 and this is the same sort of thing what happened in the capital riots so of course i don't endorse the capital riots and i'm like okay i mean i see that makes sense but i'm not 100 percent with you and this is where I kind of say the more I think about it, the more it makes sense. And that being really the claim of this. <clears throat> and I'll try, I'll try to state this the, the most clear I can. Because I haven't really thought about this fully. I'm still kind of in the thought process of what I'm about to say here. But that being, no matter what they, they really think about what happened in the Capitol, they can't necessarily come out and say that they 100% endorse it. Now, I bring up Ben Shapiro for this example. Ben Shapiro is a person who goes against all violent claims and whatnot, obviously. It wasn't for the protesting, wasn't for this. And when it came to the Capitol riots, he was very, very clear in his perspective that he thought any conservative 
or any Republican that supports what happened in the Capitol should be ashamed of themselves, basically. And what they did was purely unconstitutional and something that should never happen ever again. So that was kind of his claims. And as I was just kind of saying, the more I think about it, the more it makes sense from at least a media perspective. And I do think that Ben Shapiro, as my example, may actually believe it. But it is kind of a, a interesting thing, because especially if you believe the main narrative the media pushes, you would think that people like Ben Shapiro would, would 100% be for these capital riots because it was his people that were doing the attack and so on. So I thought that claim was very interesting. But we'll continue on with our story and our, with our article here and uh, go from there. The charges which carry a maximum punishment of 20 years would be among the most serious for those in the armed attack to disrupt the Congress, counting on President Joe Biden's state-certified electoral victory. Nearly three weeks after the assault, which left five dead, at least 138 people have been arrested. Insurance said the numbers are going by the hour. These cases are moving at a very rapid, rapid clip, the prosecutor said. I don't understand. These cases are moving at a very rapid clip. That's a very interesting wording. Maybe I'm, I'm not understand what clip means, but we'll continue on. The prosecutor said, referring to a flurry of 500 subpoenas and search warrants issued in the support of the inquiry, there is no manpower issue here. Everyone is all in on these cases. So I just want to bring up this one point uh, real quickly. And I, I was even talking about it, I believe, on my last podcast. If it wasn't on my last podcast, then it was on Anavolta's stream or my stream where we do our Thursday show getting the answers. But we mentioned that a lot of these people who were attacking the Capitol building weren't arrested at the time. And I believe Anavolta has brought up the point that, well, all of these people are on camera. Many of them were, were taking videos or pictures of themselves at the inside the Capitol and uh, breaking windows or, or doing whatever they were doing. So eventually these people were going to be arrested or charged because they were basically... Uh, unafraid to to have themselves on the camera so the people who were going to be arrested it was just a matter of time because a lot of a lot of the mass media uh, sources right after these raids were basically saying that if this was black lives matter that attacked the capitol or attacked some other sort of major government building that the police would have had no problem arresting arresting all of these people and uh right then and right there and obviously, I don't think that that claim is 100% true like anything else, but I do think that there, there is some truth to that claim and the fact of the history of what was happening beforehand. Because I do think if Black Lives Matter attacked the Capitol, the police would have been much more willing to do arrest at that time because um, certain members identifying themselves within Black Lives Matter were already doing that to uh, businesses and other places around cities. And the reason I say they identify is I don't think a lot of people who did these sort of things are people that 100% believe in the movement. I think they're simply using the movement for their, for their, for their needs and wants. You could say that you're a part of BLM in this case and decide to do mass destruction and say, yeah, no, I'm a part of these guys. And, and thinking that you might get, you know, uh, uh, not attacked by anybody or the media or whatever the claim might be. 
and I really don't think the people who are truly trying to pass better legislation are truly trying to create an environment better for everybody, or in this case for blacks, that they would go to the extreme of destroying businesses. So I don't think a lot of those people who said they are a part of BLM or said they were a part of whatever else were actually a part of those movements and more just using it just so they could get out their anger or do something and, and hopefully don't face uh, criminal charges for doing so. But I digress. We'll continue with our article here. The criminal inquiry has been playing out across the country. While the Senate is preparing the host to impeachment trial of former President Donald Trump, accused of inciting the rioters to storm the Capitol, and we're going to be talking about that at the end of the podcast here, but we'll continue on, so I don't want to spend too much time on that yet. <coughs> Excuse me. While the public has flooded authorities with more than 200,000 pieces of digital media to review, Assistant FBI Director Stephen D'Antonio, or D'Antonio, I'll just go with that, said investigators continue to appeal for help in the search for the suspect or suspects who planned pipe bombs at the headquarters of the Republican and Democratic National Conviction or National Committees. Excuse me. Federal officers have offered a $75,000 reward for information leading to arrest in the case, which Antonio described as a top priority. So basically, they're starting to arrest some of those capital rioters, and I don't think anybody who followed this sort of uh, news or content was thinking that the people are going to get away with what happened, especially when you're talking about attacking a federal building and let alone the actual capital of the United States of America. And the thought that you were going to be filmed doing so and doing the violent acts and not be arrested or not at least charged in a fine seemed very bizarre. So the fact that it's starting to happen now does make a lot of sense. Now, one other topic I wanted to get to before we start talking about Biden's inauguration and then Biden's um, uh, executive orders is with the, the D.C. National Guard. And we are waiting for our article to load. Here we go. So this article is by The Hill. And I'll kind of summarize the events a little bit so we can... Uh, don't have to read all of these articles on live on air now. Essentially, there was a lot of Americans upset, or at least wondering why, that a lot of these D.C. National Guard members were restricted to, um, to a parking garage. And then before the whole parking garage incident, there were claims that the D.C. National Guard was getting restricted and who could actually go to the Biden inauguration. There was claims that they were getting vetted. So essentially the soldiers who liked Trump or supported Trump or maybe even more Republican were not allowed to go to Biden's inauguration in fear that maybe they would want to be responsible in doing something they shouldn't have been doing because they believe Biden possibly is not the president of the United States but rather Trump because of whatever reason they might be suggesting. So there was claims about that happening. Now I've read several articles saying that this wasn't really the case, but I've also read several articles saying that this was the case, or at least is some 
uh, truth to it. And as I often say, it's probably most likely the middle of the two perspectives. So there probably was some sort of sistership or some sort of involvement in who can go and who and who couldn't go. So the extremist members of the National Guard or maybe people who are very pro-Trump were probably not allowed to go. I do think that that is uh, possible. Now I've heard that that is unconstitutional and not allowed for various reasons. And I don't necessarily know the parts of the Constitution are the reasons they are pointing to, but I assume it is essentially the, the that the act of doing so does seem a little bit suspicious and does seem a little bit uh, un-American to a lot of people. But at the same time, you, your ultimate goal of the being a National Guard at this inauguration is making sure everybody is safe and the president is well alive. So... The idea that you might want to get rid of somebody who might have a motive of doing so makes a little bit of sense, but at the same time is a little bit of an interesting claim. But we'll see what this article has to say. This is by The Hill. D.C. National Guard commander says Pentagon restricted his authority before a riot. Pentagon officials restricted to the commander of the D.C. National Guard authorities ahead of the January 6th riot on the commander. Oh, this is back to the riots. Excuse me. Uh, I, I covered both. Anyway. Normally, a local commander would be able to make decisions on taking military action in an emergency when headquarters approval took too much time. But the commander of the general of the D.C. National Guard told the post of the Pentagon took that power away from him ahead of the Capitol riot, which meant he could not immediately deploy troops when the Capitol police chief asked for help as rioters were about to breach the building. All commanders normally have immediate response to authority to protect property life and in the case of federal functions, federal uh, property and life, Walker said in the post. But in this instance, I did not have that authority. So that's interesting that they might have restricted his authority to protect the Capitol building because especially at the time where it was actually happening and when I had Anna Volta on Thursday where we talked about the riots and everything that was happening there, we both found it rather interesting that the Capitol building itself was the one that got raided and whatnot and the fact that they were able to do so looked really bad on the D.C. Uh, po Capitol Police, D.C. Police, the National Guard, and everybody that's involved in keeping that building secure, because after all, it is the capital of the United States. But now we're going to get into what I was talking about earlier with the D.C. National Guard and the whole parking garage incident. And there's been several claims about what exactly this parking garage was or isn't, because there were several treats at one point saying that these National Guard members had to sleep in the uh, parking garage because there was photos of them, of some National Guard members on Twitter or whatever uh, media source taking naps and doing things that uh, seemed very suspicious for uh, what the National Guard should have been doing. So in other words, the idea of putting that amount of people in a parking garage and having them sleep seemed uh, very wrong to do to the National Guard, even if they are National Guard members and aren't exactly VIP type of people or candidates. It's not like you need to put them in a resort or in a in a uh, fancy five-star hotel. They are National Guard. 
but the idea that you would you would do this to your own National Guard in the United States of America in the Capitol and have them sleep on the floor and be restricted to this tiny uh, part of uh, the of the parking garage or just a parking garage in general upset a lot of people. But then the claims came out that well, no, these National Guard members did not have to sleep in this parking garage. They had hotels. This was just the, the, the parking garage was just a place for them to go to on their break and after the main speech of Biden uh, where they were seen in a line and, and waving at Biden and Biden, Biden waving back at them. So basically, the whole claim that the National Guard had to spend their nights or sleep in that parking garage was untrue. They had hotels to go back to and hotels to sleep. Now, once again, these hotels were not five-star hotels or anything like that. We don't, I don't know if the hotels were actually verified. I'm sure that somebody has probably released what type of hotel it was or what hotel it is that they were staying at or whatever the words you want to use. But I don't think that's really that important. The fact that they didn't have to sleep in this parking garage is more than a important story in here. That being said, there were still thousands of members of National Guard that were restricted inside this parking garage and only had two bathrooms to use. So there's still a lot of people in a small amount of space in a parking garage. So a lot of people are also arguing over the factor of should we have done this to our own National Guard members in the United States of America. It's not like we are sending them out uh, to tours. Now the National Guard is not usually the ones that get that have that happen, but you also have to make sure you consider all factors when we look into this story and look into this idea. So I wanted to make that clear before we get in to this first article by Politico because it, it, it's kind of rather interesting and I was listening to a, 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 a video on YouTube about these two army people or sorry, these two Marines that were talking about, well, they didn't necessarily see this as being that bad because they're, this is actually kind of not necessarily luxury for even the National Guard, but these soldiers are expected to not necessarily live in comfort and are the whole idea of sending them off. So basically their whole point was you're supposed to train soldiers, even the National Guard, who are soldiers, but... Where we're talking about Marines to National Guard. There is a difference there, but let's just say soldiers to make that example easier. You're supposed to train all soldiers in being uncomfortable so that when they actually get deployed, or maybe get deployed, but again, let's make the example easy. So when they actually get deployed, they aren't, uh, they don't have to live in environments like hotels. <laughs> I mean, that just makes sense, right? So they, they didn't really necessarily see this as that big of a deal. It's more just the perception that this was done in your own place, in your in your own backyard, rather than across a nation. Now, I see somebody on Twitch here, Gamer J, says, Can you believe that conservatives have the gall to say, well, they knew what they were signing up for? When you talk about why teachers need to get paid a lot more, the conservative mentality is, yes, things are awful. No, I won't acknowledge that oligarchies made them this way. You are really naive enough to want a better ward. Yeah, there's a lot there in your claim there, uh, Gamer J. And I do uh, I do think you're, you have some truth to those claims for sure. 
the conservative mentality, like a lot of things, doesn't necessarily... Just put it this way. A lot of times conservatives want to keep things as they are and keep consistency. They want everything to be smooth. They don't like change. And the changes that do happen, they want to be secure in those changes. So if it gives them more money or lets them uh, not pay taxes as much or whatever issue like that, they're all for that sort of change. But they don't necessarily want something that may upset the political situation. Now, when you compare that to progressive left, which is the exact opposite of these conservatives we talk about, they are wanting to push things that would cause mass change in our political system, such as you know, universal health care or uh, mass change to the education system. You know, these huge policies that would would cause a lot of Americans to have to change the way they think or change the way they live. So, in a lot of ways, the progressive left is much more the party and the type of people that want to have mass changes happen, while the conservative mentality and the conservative perspective is, let's just keep the same, the same things we have now, let's just stay consistent, let's know what to expect tomorrow, I don't want to wake up the next day and fear what might happen. And I'm not saying that one mentality is better than the other, because the progressive left mentality can lead to a lot of problems, but we don't necessarily exactly know what those problems could be, because we haven't really tried one of the more extreme types. Now, I don't know if, if we ever will try the extreme types. If they were to happen, it's probably going to happen under uh, a Biden, well, maybe not even a Biden presidency, because Biden's very moderate. Biden is very establishment Democrat. He's not somebody that may push for extreme uh, progressive policies. But it would have to be done almost with full control of presidency, house, and congress like we have now. But I'll continue on with this story by Politico. Thousands of National Guardsmen were allowed back into the Capitol Thursday night, hours after the U.S. Capitol Police officials ordered them to evacuate the facilities, spending time, spending, the, uh, blah, 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 spending them outside or to a nearby parking garages after two weeks of pulling security duty after the deadly riot on January 6. One unit which had been resting in Durkin Senate, or Durkin's, sorry, Durkin Senate office building was abruptly told to evacuate the facility on Thursday. According to one guardsman, the group was forced to rest in a nearby parking garage without internet perception and just one electrical af uh, uh, excuse me and just one electrical outlet and one bathroom with two stalls for uh, 5,000 troops. The person said temperatures in Washington were low 40s by nightfall. Yesterday, dozens of senators and congress congressmen walked down their lines taking photos, shaking our hands, and thanking us for service. Within 24 hours, they had no further use for us and banished us to the corner of a parking garage. We feel incredibly betrayed, the guardsman said. And that's kind of what I was mentioning earlier. And I don't know if I necessarily explained it too well, so I'll kind of restate that point here. And really, the guardsman said it best. But the whole idea is about perception. So a lot of people got angry at this because of the way it looked. And a lot of guardsmen are more conservative types, I would say, got mad at the fact that basically all you're using the National Guardsmen for are for props and 
because after the Capitol riots, as this article mentioned, there were several thousands of them that were just there to protect. And that may make sense for, for trying to prevent a second mass uh, riot of the Capitol building. But basically, long story short, uh, I think a lot of more conservative types are mad at the factor of using the National Guard like this as props. So basically, all they were there for was photo op, and then they they vanish him and say, oh, yeah, I don't need you anymore. I just want to look like I support you. But, you know, I really don't support you, blah, blah, blah. And there is a lot of that going around, too. So this whole National Guard incident was rather, rather interesting. And all of these articles are linked in my YouTube channel, The Breakdown with Birkenhoff, or in my Discord server uh, under the article news if you want to read any of these or check them out for yourself. I always do that. Now, we'll get into this uh, next article by Yahoo News and our next major topic, and that being Biden's inauguration. Yes, I know this was almost a week ago, but once again, this is my uh, first podcast back, so I want to cover that, and we accidentally hit the uh, home screen on Yahoo. One second here. Okay, nothing on YouTube. And I don't know if you're still here, Gamer J, but I'll, I'll be interested to hear what you thought of Biden's inauguration now that we're talking about this topic. Did you think his uh, speech was good or, or, or what he said was good? Because Chris Wallace did, and that's what this article is first about. And I, I'll give my own perspective on what I thought the speech was, but I wanted to read this one first. Yahoo News, and it states, Fox News' Chris Wallace calls Biden's speech the best inaugurational address I have ever heard. President Biden's inaugural address has won some high praise on Fox News. Fox News anchor Chris Wallace on Wednesday praised Biden's great inaugural address, going as far as to deem it the best he's ever watched in his life. I thought it was a great speech, Wallace said. I have been listening to these inaugural addresses since 1961 with John F. Kennedy, asked not. I thought this was the best inaugural address I have ever heard. Biden, during his first address as president, declared that democracy has prevailed and urged unity, saying politics doesn't have to be raging fire, destroying everything in its path. Wallace noted that the speech and the ceremony itself itself was especially meaningful, coming exactly two weeks after a mob of former President Donald Trump supporters stormed the Capitol building in an attempt to disrupt Congress certification of the election results. It was less than an inaugural address and more of a part sermon, part pep talk, Wallace said. The Fox News anchor also called for those in the media to particularly take note of Biden's comment that, that there is truth and lies, lies told for power and for profit, and each of us has a duty and responsibility to defund the truth and defeat the lies. Now always turn words into rhetoric, or rhetoric into reality and action, Wallace added, but I thought it was a great start. And it has a link to what Wallace directly said to a Twitter post. So once again, I ask anybody who may be watching now or if you're watching on uh, the podcast format through uh, uh, Apple or Spotify or whatever else, what did you think of Biden's inaugural address? And I'm going to give my perspectives before we move on. So I thought his speech itself 
he he was definitely stressing the the viewpoint of unity and unity is a good thing to have especially in today's political atmosphere we live well we live in today as i that was basically i just said that anyway especially the the political atmosphere we live in today because the, you you have two parties basically yes there is a third party yes there is a libertarian but if you ask anybody uh, next door, if you ask your next door neighbor or run into a random person at the grocery store and ask them, they're going to say they're Democrat or Republican most of the time and majority of the time. So it really comes down to two major parties. And depending on where, where you pick and what your party is, you ultimately at this point hate the other party and don't like the other party because of the way the media has made it and because of the way politics has turned into. So in other words, the idea that we are going to see cooperation between parties, I don't think it exists anymore. And I feel like a lot of Americans also think that. I don't think a lot of Americans see the, the parties and the way the political atmosphere is today and having a middle ground very often. So to stress unity is a good thing to stress, especially since the Democrats have all three chambers being the House, the Senate, and Presidency. So since they have all, basically they have full control, I mean within, within, uh, I can't remember the word, but they have full control within reason, basically, within reason. Uh, they have all three branches of government, or, well, they have, not branches of government, but they have all three things you need to have full control. Um, so to stress unity does make a lot of sense. And the idea of, of everybody working together and finding common ground is a good thing to stress and a good thing to have. But at the same time, Biden throughout his speech was often uh, go, uh, was often attacking Trump or attacking um, different claims. So you can't really stress the point of unity and also attack the people who voted for Trump or the people who did various things. Because then you're not really stressing unity. You're only stressing the type of unity you necessarily want. And I don't think that that was necessarily smart of Biden and something that I didn't really appreciate much when watching his address. Because if your main point is unity, then you need to make sure that you stress that point in all variations of it. But we will play some uh, highlights of this inauguration. Ride to Joint Base Andrews. Ladies, Ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen please, please welcome the President and First Lady of the United States, Donald J. Trump and Melania Trump. What is this? One second. Fast forward a little bit here. The vision of a more perfect union in our land. The duties of the office on which I am about to enter. The duties of the office upon which I am about to enter. So help me God. So help me God. By the way, what was also kind of funny about this was uh, pres our Vice President Kamala Harris now, or Kamala Harris at that point, uh, got sworn in first before 
President, or I was about to say President Trump before President uh, Joe Biden. So Kamala Harris was briefly Donald Trump's vice president. <laughs> I thought that was that was absolutely hilarious in a more cynical way because from a pure technicality, uh, Kamala Harris was uh, President Trump's vice president for a couple of minutes before Joe Biden got uh, sworn in as president of United States of America officially. But we will continue on with this video for a little bit. <laughs> and high honor to be the first person to officially introduce the 46th President of the United States, Joseph R. Biden, Jr. And yes, that was Amy Klobuchar. Together, we shall write an American story of hope not fear, of unity, not division, of light, not darkness, a story of decency and dignity, love and healing, greatness and goodness. May this be the story that guides us. They heard a little bit of President Biden's inauguration speech and more just kind of wanted to play that clip because you got to see uh, Kamala Harris, the vice president, and Joe Biden get sworn in. And just a little bit of kind of what you heard throughout uh, Joe Biden's speech through the claims of unity and whatnot, which again, I've kind of already gave my opinion on what uh, Joe Biden said in his speech already. One other kind of funny thing I wanted to mention before we move on uh, here is the White House uh, official account, the official YouTube account that has 1.9 million subscribers. It'll be interesting to look at to YouTube analytics. I wonder what it had under Trump. But I don't know that answer. I don't know if it's going to be more or less. It, do it doesn't really, but excuse me, it doesn't really matter, but I just thought that was uh, interesting. But the main reason I bring this up is the fact of the White House official account got rid of all President, uh, our former President Donald Trump's videos and now just has Biden's videos on that account. And he also live streamed the inauguration uh, speech itself and that video is now unlisted, meaning that you have to have the link to view it because it got a whole bunch of downvotes compared to upvotes. And really I think that was a lot of people just doing it for the memes, but it is interesting that he was supposedly the most popular uh, president in history and he has that much downvotes to his whole thing but ultimately I think that just comes back to kind of internet culture or meme culture and once something gets trending especially when it's at that level of trending and about the president there's going to be a lot of people that are just going to do it for shits and giggles for in whatever you want to use for that specifics there. Now, the next thing we're going to talk about is Joe Biden and the reason I titled the episode Biden Likes His Pen, and that being his executive orders. So, I also want to ask somebody a question. Those who are maybe watching now or in the future, 
what you think of Joe Biden's executive orders. All presidents uh, have executive orders, obviously, and depending on who you are as president, you sign uh, executive orders. And some presidents sign more than others. I believe President Trump signed less than Obama. I don't know if that is true or not. So I would love if somebody uh, corrects me on that claim if it is not true. I definitely don't want to be uh, spreading non-truths. This is why I always say that even on my podcast, I oftentimes am learning live on air. I definitely don't know everything when it comes to politics. I don't think anyone does. And anyone who says they does, doesn't. So it's kind of a funny thing, especially when it comes to politics. But anyway, Biden has signed a lot of executive orders and many people speculated that Biden would be very heavy with his pen. And even though he has full control through the House, the Congress and obviously the presidency, he would still be signing a lot of these executive orders. But we're going to read some of the articles and some of the details of these executive orders. And we're first going to start with a CNN article here. Here are the 30 executive orders in action Biden signed in his first three days. President Joe Biden has signed a flurry of executive order actions and memorandums aimed at repeatedly addressing the coronavirus pandemic and dismantling many of the President Donald Trump's policies. The 30 executive actions Biden has taken in the first days of his administration, including halting funding for the concentration Sorry, the concentration funding of the construction of Trump's border wall, revising Trump's travel ban, targeting largely Muslim countries, imposing a mask mandate on federal property, ramping up vaccine supplies, and requiring international travelers to provide proof of a or international travelers to provide proof of a negative COVID-19 test prior to traveling to the U.S. And it gives a whole list of uh, Biden's uh, executive orders and what they are and his vote of being yes or no. And we have an article that looks a little bit more detailed. Now, this has all of Joe Biden's 30 executive orders through the CNN article. So if you want to look at all 30 with a very quick summary of what exactly they were, you can definitely view the CNN article that has it all laid out and and if it got reversed or what exactly happened for each executive order. And that is in my YouTube or Discord. So you can definitely check that out if you're watching live now. But we have this PBS article that brings up a much a a more detailed look at Biden's first executive orders because I haven't really done a particular stream on these executive orders. I had a show with Anna Voltes, our Thursday show of getting the answers, where we discussed Biden's plans and what we expect to happen from Biden in the future, and we talked about excuse me, and we talked about Biden's executive orders. So uh, if you want to look at that as uh, and go back to hear what we kind of initially said about it, you could definitely check out the Getting the Answers podcast and uh, Getting the Answers, and we have my input on that. But we're going to read this PBS article where it summarizes everything. A look at Biden's first executive orders in the office. So many ads. 
In his first official acts as president, Joe Biden is signing executive orders on a broad range of issues from the coronavirus pandemic and so on. Anyway, first one, mask mandate. Biden is requiring the use of masks and social distancing in all federal buildings. He is challenging all Americans also to wear a mask for the first 100 days of his administration, which is a crucial period as people are getting more vaccines. So, I don't think anybody was necessarily shocked at this executive order. Uh, many people saw it coming. If anything, a lot of people thought Biden was going to be more harsh with his executive order. Now, I'm not really sure what you could do to be more harsh because you can't, from my understanding, exactly mandate everybody to have a mask, uh, even in p uh, private businesses. Now, maybe you could if you get it passed through uh, Congress, but I don't think that that would be a constitutional executive order. I think something like that would definitely be going to the Supreme Court and probably getting overturned. Now, uh, but you could debate that and talk about that. But I think a lot of people, especially more on the left side of things, didn't really like the perspective of having this mask mandate uh, because they wanted it to be ultimately more strict. Then on the other side, you had conservatives that simply are viewing this sort of mask mandate as not really going to do anything. Because, as I said also on the Getting the Answers podcast, I don't really think that having a mask mandate is really going to do that much. Because the people that have decided to wear a mask are already wearing their mask. And the people that don't want to wear their mask aren't just going to put on a mask just because of this mandate in federal buildings and federal places such as parks and whatnot. So I don't really think that you're going to change that much with this particular executive order. So I don't really think he made anybody necessarily happy with this mask mandate. Maybe if you're somebody that, that likes masks or is pro-mask, uh, you were for this uh, mask mandate. Uh, but anyway, I don't, I don't, like I said, I don't really know how much difference that made. Also in Biden's executive, or Biden's, uh, yeah, in Biden's executive orders, he decided to rejoin the World Health Organization. So by joining the Re-Health Organization, we are now going to be working with other governments and our, uh, well, other governments and other health officials across the world through rejoining of this World Health Organization. And because Trump uh, removed himself from the World Health Organization, Joe Biden could add himself to the uh, process without really any problems so he did and I also think many people saw this coming so not really a surprise there as well the next thing was rejoining the Paris Climate Accord and we discussed this in detail on the getting the answer show as I mentioned earlier but I thought I would quickly bring this up as well just for the grins uh, and we're gonna read kind of PBS's thoughts on this as well but essentially, the Paris Accord is a uh, 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 a government. I don't know if government's the right word, but an uh, organization. I'll put that you get to to mandate certain economic or not economic, but certain climate standards, and you have to meet those standards. Now, it is not executively binding or legally binding. So, if you don't meet those standards, you you it's not like you you go to jail as the president or your head person of that goes to jail or whatever like that. So. Basically, you, you, you say that you're going to do this, and you don't ultimately have to do it. 
if that makes sense. And that's what a lot of people have problems with the Paris Accords. But the basic concept of rejoining that is showing that Joe Biden is more for climate change and more for uh, trying to change economic or trying. Why do I keep saying economic? But trying to change these climate concerns towards uh, people viewing the U.S. as being more climate, more climate uh, control aware, or more climate aware, or whatever phraseology you want to say there. He also had some policies of immigration, such as where was uh, ending the ban on Muslim travelers, and also with COVID, he's making a COVID positive, or sorry, a COVID negative, <laughs> big difference there, but essentially not having COVID and uh, proof of a test of you not having COVID in order to travel back. Now, one of the biggest things was uh, what a lot of people think is the biggest, two things really, but one of the biggest was the border wall. He has ended all construction on the border wall. So what Trump got done through his four years is not going to get uh, deconstructed, but nothing else is going to be added. So he has halted border construction. And a lot of people are very happy about that because there is a ton of money that was getting spent to securing the border or expanding the border through Trump. And uh, Joe Biden has ended that border construction. And depending on what your views of immigration are is what you're going to think about him ending uh, construction of the border wall. But a lot of people were happy with that executive order. Now, one other thing was uh, DACA, where Trump ordered the end of DACA, and now uh, President uh, Biden has restarted the DACA movement, or whatever you want to use for phraseology there. And I myself don't know that much about DACA. I would have to be more educated to give my perspective on DACA. But I do know a lot of people who are very uh, conservative, or at least lean conservative, are somewhat worried about uh, restarting DACA and certain immigration and deportation policies are going to do for the United States as Joe Biden is way more likely to have more of an open border society compared to the previous president of Donald Trump. So once again, depending on what your views of immigration are, is going to depend what you think about those certain situations. But there's not really too much to add there because I don't think I'm really necessarily going to change your opinion. Now one other thing that I think was a push more from the progressive left. Because a lot of conservatives, if you listen to any sort of talking points, uh, and I was hearing this claim quite a bit, were essentially saying that Biden seemed to be pushing himself more towards uh, the progressive side than some people thought he would. Because a lot of people saw Biden as his moderate kind of... Uh, always Democrat candidates are our establishment. That's the word I'm looking for. A establishment Democrat, and he's not really going to push for more progressive type of agendas. Now, one of the things that people point to that he may be doing so is through this student loan executive order that he pushed. And this is where, and I'm reading from the PBS site, Biden is asking the Education Department to extend the pause on federal student loan payments through at least September 30th, continuing a uh, moratorium that begins early in the pandemic but was set to expire at the end of January. Borrowers who own a collective of $1.5 trillion will not be required to make payments on their federal student loans. 
their loans would not acquire any interest and all debt collection actively would halt. Congress paused student loan debts last March as part of the virus relief package. Biden's order does not include that type of mass debt cancellation, but some Democrats asked them to do. So essentially, he is pausing interest rates on loans, and some people are a little bit upset about that. Now, one other thing they didn't necessarily mention in this PBS article that I want to bring up is the Keystone Pipeline, which runs from Canada uh, down into the United States, obviously. And this was a mass pipeline that uh, got, first got brought up in um, Obama's air. And I believe Obama didn't support the pipeline. And then Trump decided to start building it. I believe that's how that history went for the pipeline. But essentially this was going to give a lot of oil from Canada down. And be pretty huge for commerce and for the oil industry. And Joe Biden has halted construction on this pipeline, meaning that the uh, pipeline isn't going to be improved on or built upon for these next couple of years. So that was a major thing that the oil industry is talking about. And even Trudeau uh, from Canada was very upset about Biden. He even called Biden. And there's been several articles about what Trudeau uh, might have told Biden or why Trudeau was upset. And I was listening to a group of uh, leftist streamers on the panel on Twitch just to see what their perspectives were. And they were mentioning the fact that Canada and the way their economics work is very oil-based. So like here in the U.S., we have a lot of industries that kind of lead our governments or at least are highly involved in our governments. In Canada, that is very much the oil industry and they are the ones that kind of line the pockets of political people in Canada. So they were basically their perspective why Trudeau was mad was because he wants to make sure that he has the support of the oil industry in Canada. And and I don't know too much about Canadian politics, so I do have to trust her opinion there. But that idea doesn't seem that extreme to me, so I definitely could see that perspective as being true. Now, one of the big things, as I previously mentioned, was Joe Biden's coronavirus plan. Because throughout the process, we heard that Joe Biden had the plan. And one of the funny tweets that was going around in various formats is this tweet you see in front of you here. And I'll read it for those who are listening on the audio platforms. It basically states here to the left of the screen. We are eight months into this pandemic and Donald Trump doesn't have a plan to get rid of the... Or sorry, we'll read the exact tweet. Let me blow it up. <laughs> You cut off a little. We're waiting for the uh, tweet to load. Sorry about that. Okay. This is from Joe Biden. We are eight months into this pandemic, and Donald Trump still doesn't have a plan to get rid of this vi to get this virus under control. I do. That was from Joe Biden. Now this is eight months later, or whatever it is, and Joe Biden is now president, and he states, at Joe Biden. There is nothing we can do to change the directory of the pandemic in the next several months. And this was from a uh, from a uh, an interview or a press that Joe Biden has recently done about trying to administer more vaccines or to slow 
the second or third spread or whatever you want to say for coronavirus that the United States is now starting to see. So basically a lot of people are pointing out that Joe Biden never really did have a plan and he was just using his voice or his uh, perspective to try to push for people to believe in him because one of the biggest things going against Trump and what I think was the biggest thing was Trump's management of coronavirus. So if Joe Biden did have a plan and thought he would manage the virus better, many people were going to vote for Joe Biden just because of that because we want COVID to go away or at least be drastically reduced. If COVID becomes another thing like the flu, we at least want to feel like we would should we have a good reason to believe that we have it under control. So the fact that there appears to be no plan has a lot of people ultimately worried and some people even feel lied to because there doesn't really appear to have a COVID plan so far. And we are going to be playing the clip directly from that interview. Excuse me, I'm trying to back start. Pop. Come on, back it. Back it up. Back it up. Okay. We're going to be playing this clip from the tweet and the basically the, the, the press conference uh, that got referenced. But before I just keep blabbering on and, and make no sense, I'll play the video here. Approximately 14 million Americans, 14 million, have fallen behind on rent and many risk eviction. If we fail to act, there will be a wave of evictions and foreclosures in the coming months. On, as this pandemic rages on, because there's nothing we can do to change the trajectory of the pandemic in the next several months. So look, this would overwhelm emergency shelters, increase COVID-19 infections as people have to have nowhere to go and are socially can't socially distance. The American Rescue Plan asks. So there we basically hear that what we just heard, there's nothing we could do to change the directory of the pandemic, despite many people believing that Mr. Joe Biden did have a plan for coronavirus. Or now, President Joe Biden has a had a plan or does have a plan for coronavirus. We're going to read one article kind of talking about this press conference and getting uh, CNBC's opinion before I move on and talk about our next sort of issue going off of COVID and President uh, Joe Biden's uh, stance on it. And it is almost, it is very hard trying to say President Joe Biden and not President Trump because I'm so used to saying President Trump. I'm having to mentally think about it, but we'll continue on here. Biden says nothing can change the trajectory of the COVID pandemic over the next several months. And once again, this is a uh, opinion piece from CNBC. President Joe Biden has painted a bleak, bleak picture of the nation's coronavirus outbreak in his first few days in office, warning that it will take months to turn around the pandemic trajectory and that and that facilities are expected to dramatically rise over the next few weeks. A lot of America is hurting. The virus is surging. We are 400,000 dead and expected to reach well over 600,000, Biden said on Friday, before swinging two executive orders designed to reduce hunger and bolster workers' rights aimed at the pandemic. The U.S. surpassed 400,000 total COVID-19 deaths on Tuesday, with a quarter of those coming over the previous 36 days, according to data compiled by John Hopkins University. 
On Biden's first full day as president on Thursday, he told reporters following the meeting with his COVID-19 advisors, including Dr. Anthony Fauci, that the nation would likely top 500,000 COVID-19 deaths in February. Biden warned on Friday that this outbreak continues, there's nothing we can do to change the trajectory of the pandemic in the next several months. So, once again, you do have to take context. So, if you take context into this, he was basically saying that if we do not pass stricter uh, regulations or, or have more vaccine shots for uh, citizens and do these things or, or, or whatever and, and follow my plan exactly if he has a plan. But if we don't start to get more serious about COVID-19, then we are not going to be changing the directory. And that brings me to our next point. As I was saying and mentioning earlier, and I don't want to sound like I am too pro-Biden uh, throughout this uh, podcast here, because really I don't particularly like Biden very much. Neither did I really like President Trump or Donald Trump either. Our former... Anyway, neither did I really like Trump either. But... Um, I do think that Joe Biden does have a plan, and we're going to get into some of what he is planning to do here in these next couple articles. This first plan is starting with a more distribution of vaccine shots, as we see from Bloomberg News. From, from Bloomberg News, Biden team teams Biden team to buy 200 million more doses speed up to speed up vaccines. I can speak. Okay. Delivering a minimum 10 million doses to states would represent about a 16% increase from their current weekly pace. Though the higher pace may be may only last three weeks and is not clear where the new doses are coming from, the government also plans to give states better forecasts of forthcoming shipments, three weeks worth up from one week now. This is going to allow millions of more Americans to get vaccinated sooner than previously anticipated. We have got a long way to go, Biden said at the White House Tuesday, flanked by COVID-19 coordinator Jeff Zintz. Biden continued that the vaccine effort is an overwhelmingly difficult logistical effort. And it has some graphics of uh, COVID-19 deaths and infection rate here in the United States. A lot of things can go wrong, he said. Biden has pledged to, his pledged to administer 100 million shots in his first 100 days in office. Though it wasn't immediately clear, the measure announced Tuesday would help him, ease, would help him more easily meet the goal. He, com com he co complained that the vaccine program is in more shape than he anticipated or expected. Before entering office under the Trump administration, the pace of shots was already accelerating to 1 million per a day. I want to be clear, 100 million shots in 100 days is not the end point, it's just a start, Biden said. The effort is also constrained by limits on the number of sites and medical professionals who can give shots. The senior administration officials said that the administration is working with states to relieve that bottleneck, including by delivering more doses through retail pharmacies. 
An official bereaved reports Tuesday on the condition of anatomy ahead of Biden's remarks. The White House did not immediately respond to the questions about the cost of the new order of doses or where the funding would come from. Uh, Biden said he hopes that the vaccines are are uh, he hopes that the vaccines are enough and that the U.S. has a surplus. And it goes on to talk a little bit more about Biden's plans to distribute the vaccine. Because as the article kind of mentioned, Biden and what he wants to do with an amount of shots was already kind of what Trump was previously doing. So he wasn't really necessarily increasing the amount of vaccine shots, but more just using a statistic that looks good to represent what he wants to do. So there really isn't going to be an increase in the number of shots per the day. But ultimately comes to what his legislation is going to do here in the future, which is more important than anything else. And that is what we are going to get into next with some of Biden's plans for COVID-19 through his executive order. But thank you, uh, our contingency re. Hello there on Twitch. Uh, thank you for stopping by. Hopefully you like what you're listening to so far. I would love to know your thoughts on Biden. Uh, do you think his COVID plan, or at least what you know about his COVID response so far, is good enough? Now, we're only in basically the first week of Biden's presidency, so that might be very hard to tell, but I don't. I think a lot of people are upset about what Biden has done with COVID even now, even though like he's in his first week and blah, blah, blah. I think I just feel like a lot of people are upset about Biden, no matter where you are on the political spectrum as far as COVID goes. So this is some of what uh, Biden plans to do as far as his administration. And this is directly from the White House, a state's fact sheet. President Biden's new executive actions deliver economic relief for American families and businesses aimed at the COVID-19 crisis. Contingency Ree says, I am in no way a statistician, but uh, not enough, I guess. Yeah, that's, I mean, like, it's hard to tell at this point, especially because COVID's such a hard thing to control. Like, obviously, it is a virus, so it's not like you can just press the stop button and it end. But, um... I think it's just a, a, a waiting matter to see exactly how Biden plans to do so. But we do see a little bit of what Biden is hoping to do in this uh, executive order and in his policies that he is doing um, so far. His first thing here is addressing the growing hunger crisis facing 29 million Americans and as many as 12 million children by asking the U.S. Department of Agriculture to consider expanding and exceeding federal nutrition uh, uh, nutrition assistance programs. He also wants to ensure inadequate and effective delivery of direct payments by asking the Treasury Department to consider changing its delivery structure, and this would put a focus to relieve 8 million Americans who have not received financial assistance. So this is, I believe, referring to the earlier stimulus checks, because even the second round of stimulus checks that, that got passed didn't necessarily get into the pockets of people, neither did even the first. So even people that were promised and qualified for these stimulus checks didn't necessarily get the stimulus checks because we ran out of money and whatnot. 
The next point here, help approximately 2 million veterans maintain their financial footing. Next one, helping ensure that unemployed Americans no longer have to choose between paying their bills and keeping themselves and their families safe for COVID. So you might be asking, how does he plan to get some of these things done? Kachijusi Ree says, Plus I am not American, I am just interested in American politics since it's way wilder and less boring than we have here. If you don't mind me asking, where are you from, Contingency Ray? Or Contingency Ree? I don't know why I said Ray. Anyway. But yeah, American politics is wild right now. Uh, Trump definitely upset the beast. I don't know if he ultimately caused American politics to become wild. I just think he, he exposed just how interesting American politics can be in a lot of ways. First point here. So this is how Biden plans to address the growing hunger crisis facing 29 million Americans. He does this by... Across the country, in one in seven households, and more than in one in five black and Latino households, report that their household is struggling to secure food they need. In December, Congress bolstered food assistance programs and provided new funding for food banks and school and child care mills. But these measures alone will not solve the growing hunger crisis in America. As part of the American Rescue Plan proposal, President Biden is calling on Congress to provide additional support to ensure that all Americans, regardless of background, have access to healthy, affordable groceries by, extent, by uh, extending the 15% Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or SNAP. And SNAP is a big deal. Depending on what area you live in depends how much SNAP you got. I was a, a grocery store employee. And uh, depending on where I worked on the grocery store, I worked really in two locations. One location was in a more wealthy area, and there wasn't a lot of people who were on SNAP cards. It was more uh, credit cards than anything else, or food stamps or anything like that. Then the next location I started to work at had a lot of uh, SNAP cards, and it was in more of a country, kind of low economic area. So the more you get into people who are struggling to provide for their family, the more SNAP you start to see being basically a, a food stamps and government assistance for certain foods. Uh, you're from Indonesia. Oh, well, that, uh, I don't know too much about Indonesia government or anything like that, but uh, that's very cool. <laughs> we're going to read two more things on this, and then we're going to go to our kind of our next topic because really there's not too much information on what Biden plans to do for COVID. I do think he has a plan. I don't know if he's necessarily exposed his plan yet. It's hard to really tell with Biden and his executive orders or proposals because uh, we're not even a week into his presidency yet. And even if he wanted to implement uh, something more extreme for COVID or something, uh, something more extreme, uh, through an executive order. I don't know if he would really want to do that in his first week. Although he has signed 30 executive orders uh, already. It's, it, I don't know if he wants to have his 31 be something that is very extreme within his first week. But maybe not. This next thing I wanted to read was this. Guarantee that no American has the choice to, between paying their bills and getting themselves and their families safe from COVID-19. 
In 2019, 43% of American households reported having at least one member with pre-existing conditions, many of whom may have a heightened risk of serious illness or death if they contract COVID. President Biden believes that workers should have the right to right to safe work environments and that no one should have to choose between their livelihoods and their own or family's health. As one of the many measures to help keep workers and their families safe throughout the pandemic, the president is asking the Department of Labor to consider clarifying that workers have a federally guaranteed right to refuse employment that will jeopardize their health if they do so. Uh, Contingency Re says, what the U.S. does kind of affects the whole world, so it's kind of important to kind of keep track of what's happening. Yeah, I could, I definitely see that. Despite what you, what you think of the United States, uh, as far as being a superpower, we're definitely somebody that has a huge role on the the entire, for lack of better words, world government, or the way the economy works across all the nations. Uh, so yeah, American politics does have a lot to do with international politics as well, despite what a lot of Americans really think, because there's a big push more on the conservative media side that simply wants to take the approach of anti-globalism and say that we are United States and we need to keep uh, bills and standards or whatever you want to say to ourselves and for ourselves because we need to take care of ourselves first and not the world first. There's a big push for that happening in the United States. But under a Biden presidency and under a Democratic presidency, there's going to be a much more bigger approach to try to involve different nations and to have more of a government type that is uh, that is for globalism more than a Trump presidency or... or uh, ultra-conservative presidency that may try to shut itself off from international powers and kind of uh, have a us-first mentality. I don't think that that's going to be the case with Joe Biden. Now, our next thing we're going to talk about, our next topic for today's uh, podcast is the factor of the impeachments. You have two different impeachments happening. I believe the... the, the uh, Second impeachment we're going to talk about hasn't actually been for, formally done yet, but it is going to happen. And that being the impeachment of Joe Biden. Yes, I said the impeachment of Joe Biden. <laughs> oh, it, it's just so funny. The factor that uh, Joe Biden president of the United States of America for his first week is already going to have an impeachment at his desk because of his involvement with foreign governments and uh, suspected corruption of Biden's family through Hunter Biden or just Biden himself. That being the second impeachment that was being done by a uh, rookie Republican congresswoman is kind of the lead of that. But the idea that there is already impeachment for Joe Biden in his first week of presidency is ultimately depressing because somebody who who's followed politics for really since high school, not that that's been a very long time because I'm only uh, 20 now, but even from my history classes and politics classes and just looking at politics, the idea that the way the United States politics is now is basically that any 
person, any idea, any 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 president that happens in the future is now going to automatically have some sort of impeachment against his him or her. And that is just crazy. I don't think that that's something you want for the American politics. It just it, it clearly shows you how divided American politics is and just how bad the the system has become. Because regardless of what you think about the Founding Fathers and how they laid out American politics to work, one thing we know for sure is that they did they would be absolutely depressed with how the American system is today. So the fact that we already have a suggested impeachment or going to be impeachment towards Biden and it's not even the first week and as Kasinchitsi uh, Reese says, bro, it's not even a whole month yet. Exactly. But anyway, the whole idea that you can just impeach a president just because is not something you necessarily want for the American politics or, or for any politics system. But we're going to first talk about the trial uh, or impeachment for Donald Trump and his really second main impeachment. And this is being an impeachment uh, for Donald Trump about his uh, call to violence for the Capitol raids or his incitement to uh, for the Capitol raids, meaning that he may have not ultimately said directly to break windows or to kill a policeman or whatever else, but he didn't discourage. In fact, he actually encouraged the riots to happen and didn't denounce the riots. Now, Trump is not exactly the most clear person to listen to, and ultimately they're getting that from his speech. And this is why he was removed from Twitter and uh, removed from many other places and mass censorship of Trump after his claims. Because many people thought that he was not necessarily calling for violence, but at least not denouncing the violence that was happening. So this is kind of where this, this second round of impeachments are coming from. And if you take the perspective that Trump did ultimately incite violence or at least didn't denounce it, then you might be for the impeachment of uh, the former president. Now you might be asking, is it possible to impeach a president who is no longer president? So in other words, is it impossible to impeach a former president of the United States? If you look constitutionally, and also this was on the verdict with uh, Tom Cruise where he was talking about this, because he's a very big uh, constitutional guy. Uh, I don't agree with everything he has to say, but he was mentioning that this has been done in the past. I can't remember if it was done with a president. I think it was done with government members and not the president. But former government members who then left office... Uh, had an impeachment towards them. I don't think it ever was a president, as I was just saying. But there is some sort of history and some sort of historical uh, relevance of it in the past. So they can theoretically impeach a former president or at least cause him to not have the availability to run for a third time in 2024. Now, there's debate even if Donald Trump would run for his third time against whoever candidate it might be, or maybe even Joe Biden again, even though I don't really see Joe Biden going for a second term. So maybe he would be running against Kamala Harris or some sort of other major Democratic candidate for presidency. But I don't even think that Trump may be wanting to run in 2024 again. 
But the idea could be that you were wanting to impeach or not allow uh, the former president to run for a third time because of his uh, claims for incitement of violence. But one of the more recent events off of this was with this. With Senator Patrick Leithy, who will preside over Trump's impeachment trial, will be is taken to the hospital. Senator Patrick Leithy, Democrat, who would preside over Trump's impeachment trial, was taken to the hospital Tuesday, a spokesperson said. This evening, Senator Leithy was in a Capitol office and was not feeling well. He was examined by the Capitol by, by the attending physician. Out of, an ambul- out, of a, um, out of caution, the attending physician recommended that he be taken to a local hospital for observation where he is now and where he is being evaluated. David Clare, a spokesperson, a spokesperson for Leafy, said, "Leafy, 80, who is in his, who is third in line for of of succession as the president pro tempore of the Senate, was just sworn in to preside over the impeachment trial. Basically, he's the guy who would be in charge of the trial or overhead of the trial and give his input, his ideas, and whatnot for the actual." Uh, for the trial itself, and be kind of the head person, the head spokesperson, the head viewer of it as well. And if you still hear contingency, contingency, why don't I have a hard time saying it? If you're still here, I would appreciate if you follow. You don't have to if you, if you don't uh, want to, but I would highly appreciate that as I am trying to build up on Twitch as much as possible. But now we're going to get into kind of the funny impeachment being the impeachment of Joe Biden, as I was previously mentioning earlier, within his first week as presidency, and as you pointed out earlier, within his, uh, why is it doing that? Within his uh, first week of presidency, or as uh, constituency pointed out earlier, within his first month of presidency, which is just crazy that that happened. But uh, there's already claims, as we see from the CNN article, of people saying, what the hell are you doing by having an impeachment uh, in this first week, or even in the type of impeachment it is. Uh, (laughs) I mean, just the idea that you have the impeachment so soon doesn't make sense at all. And it's more just looking like it's an agenda or a claim or whatever else to, to... just for political reasons and nothing else. But we read on here. Ron Paul calls impeachment dead on arrival after most Republicans signal that the trial is unconstitutional. Mm-mm. And this could be in reference to uh, Donald Trump as well. But I also know that Ron Paul was very big on calling out the supposed uh, impeachment uh, that the one congresswoman is wanting to do against uh, Joe Biden himself. And really, there's not too much information uh, as of yet as far as that impeachment necessarily goes. But we'll continue on here. The Senate uh, tabled an effort by Senator Ron Paul Tuesday to force a vote on a constitutionally a former President Donald Trump's impeachment trial. But the vote offered an indicator for how Republican senators who overwhelmingly voted for Paul's measure feel about the trial. Paul's motion was killed on a 55 to 45, with five Republicans joining all Democrats, meaning 45 Republicans voted for Paul's effort. Republican Senator Mitt Romney of Utah, Ben Sasse of Nebraska, Susan Collins of Maine, 
Lisa of Alaska and Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania crossed lines to vote with the Democrats. In order to convict Trump at his trial, at least 17 Republicans will need to vote with all Democrats when the trial with the trial next month. It just froze on me. Sorry about that. With uh, Paul's motion, okay. In order to convict Trump, at least at least 17 Republicans will need to vote with all Democrats uh, when a trial begins next month. Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell sided with Paul in the vote, a potentially a potential indicator that he agrees the constitutional the constitutionality of impeaching a former president is in question. And it's just what we were mentioning with uh, Ted Cruz, where he said there is some constitution standards or ideas that you can impeach former uh, Congress members or former government officials, but it has never really been done with a president before. But, I mean, it, it's possible to be done, but the Constitution itself isn't 100% clear on if something like this is allowed or not. But the main reason, really, for doing something like this is allowing or making sure that Trump cannot run in 2024 again. But we'll read this article. Paul argued that the vote that Paul agreed after the vote that the fact that 45 Republicans sided with him shows that the impeachment is dead on arrival. If you voted that it was unconstitutional, then how in the world would you even ever hope to convict someone for this? Paul asked, adding 45 of us, almost an entire caucus, 95% of the caucus voted that the whole proceeding was unconstitutional. This is a big victory for us. Democrats can beat this partisan horse as long as they want. The vote indicates it's over. The trial is all over. <clears throat> Even those Republicans who voted against Paul's measure, including Collins, said Tuesday, the vote was a sign of eventual outcome of the trial. Do the math, she said. I think it's extraordinarily unlikely that the president will be convicted. Still, the trial will offer both sides a chance to make their case and some lawyers who voted with Paul opened the idea that they, they, they could still vote differently next month. So ultimately it comes down to if you believe this impeachment trial is going to go towards uh, Donald Trump or not. I don't think a lot of people are feeling very confident even if you're someone that doesn't really like Donald Trump which I think a lot of people don't really like him and I myself don't particularly like Donald Trump as well. But there's a lot of difference between liking a candidate and, and thinking that he did something wrong. There's a big difference between the two. So I don't really think that Trump is going to get impeached the second time around. But I think, as I said before, the major concern right now and what I see kind of here in the future is the factor that I think these Democrats are governments itself or whatever you want to use for your phrase word are essentially trying to make sure that Donald Trump cannot run again in 2024. I think that is kind of the main focus here. Now, you could argue the factor of will Donald Trump even want to do so. Uh, I don't necessarily think he would. But then you would be talking about one of his sons or daughter potentially running in 2024. If you take one of my uh, friends from the Freedom Scoop, Jay Egger, he has his show every uh, Monday. I, I was trying to remember what day it was today. So yesterday he had 
his uh, show with Elaine, who's uh, uh, a libertarian, and she was basically that uh, one of Donald Trump's kids is going to be running for the party, is going to be running for the uh, national ticket next year. And her whole perspective was the whole uh, approach or the whole idea would be like, hey, look, I am Ivanka Trump. Or, hey, look, I am Trump Jr. Uh, I can't remember what his name Eric, right? Is it Eric Trump? I believe it's Eric Trump. And I am running for uh, President of the United States of America. And Mr. Donald Trump, your former president, is going to be one of my advisors. So you're still going to get someone like Donald Trump for uh, presidency she has a very big push for that and i don't necessarily think that she is particularly wrong in thinking that i could definitely see how there would be a possibility of that happening but that's kind of all i had for today's episode i highly appreciate you a uh, contingency re on uh, Twitch, Liddy Rose on Twitch, and Gamer J all on Twitch for your support and comments. I highly appreciate all of that. I didn't see anybody on anywhere else, so uh, thank you for anybody who's watching this in the future or right now, maybe if I missed anybody. This will be up on my Apple and Spotify and Google and whatever else in a couple days. Which everything processes. If you didn't, uh, if you're listening now, I would highly appreciate if you follow wherever you're listening it from. Every follow helps and makes me more happy. <laughs> what else can I say? So uh, I don't see any other comments, so I'll go ahead and end today's podcast here. And I will be having a, uh, a stream tomorrow talking about justice reform and what Mike can do for the justice system to kind of fix a very flawed system. So I hope to see you tomorrow where we are going to be talking about the justice system and trying to fix all of that and everything to do with there. Thank you again, and thank you for stopping by and listening to uh, The Breakdown with...